Welcome to our Saturday simulcast, joined by Brian Newbert and Tom Deanhart. Uh, July 4th weekend, though we're not quite, to, we're into July now as, as this airs. Uh, busy, busy June for, for Jeff Brom and company. We want to hit a little bit on, on football recruiting and a little bit also on Brian's basketball visits of late. Uh, we'll also get to some of our July 4th uh, content, in other words, some of the stories that uh, may cause fireworks in the next year, maybe ones that did last year. Uh, we'll let everybody kind of uh, jump in on that. I want to thank our sponsors, the Union Club Hotel, Vicki Wicks and Company. We appreciate their business and their support over the last, uh, as a sponsor, the last couple of years with us. And they will be, uh, uh, it's a busy time even at the Union. It was over there uh, earlier this week in terms of a lot of folks in there for day on campus. And uh, the, the inn is nearly full. So that's a good thing for them. We appreciate all that they do for us. Brian, I'll start with you. Um, you know, again, I'll start with, we'll start a little football recruiting talk. Just the fact that 15 guys committed as of, as of this, and there may be more by the time this actually airs, but uh, been a busy month, and I don't know. But it's hard to compare. It doesn't seem like I don't ever remember 13 commits in a month, and maybe there has been. You've been doing it a lot longer or focusing on it more, obviously, more than I have. But uh, been a pretty busy month for Jeff Brom and company. Yeah, Tom's covering it more than I am, so maybe it's a better question for him. But this is kind of June nowadays in college football recruiting um, where you bring in all these kids for visits. It's kind of like the early uh, – I don't want to say the early. It's kind of replaced the fall. Um, so you're filling your – you're bringing in all your visits in June and they're either committing right away or they're committing as soon as June ends. So the very end of the June cycle um, is always going to be pretty active. So that's exactly what's happened for Purdue. It's not all that uncommon. Remember, you know, uh, Brahms first summer at Purdue, they got like 17 commitments in like 30 days and yeah. not all those guys ended up signing. Um, in fact, surprisingly few of them, I think ended up signing when you go back and look at it, but it's just kind of the nature of June now it's, it's the new December. You know, you have, uh, and, and Tommy outlined the fact that the range of commitments are now with the, uh, all, because where we are at the end of, end of June, four defensive linemen, three wide receivers on down the line. You've got a, got a good array of guys, five guys from Indianapolis. Uh, anything you can glean from that and just in terms of the job not only Mark Hagan has done, but that they've been able to do uh, in the game of, of getting guys to, to say yes in this month. Yeah, like you said, uh, 15 overall, 13 in June, <clears throat> and the commits break down thusly. You got four defensive linemen, three receivers, three defensive backs, two running backs and you got a linebacker, a quarterback and an offensive lineman. Like you said, I think more are expected here probably in coming days uh, to augment that number. And yeah, just uh, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Since last Saturday, they had six commitments. Six, okay. Yeah, yeah that role began with Will Helt, the defensive end from Carmel committed. And uh, they've been rolling in almost daily since then. I think Monday there were three alone. So, yeah, I mean, uh, solid class. The rivals has this class ranked 20 right now. Of course, it's awfully early. And as we know, things change. It's only June 30th. It's a long way to December, but it's a good start, right? So, uh, uh, and again, uh, the, I don't think the staff has finished yet. So it'll be interesting to see how this thing closes out in coming months. 
Now, Brian, I, one thing that's impressed me is with 15, and you've written, talked about this, I know, earlier on uh, Gold Black Radio and, and written about it, too, is just the numbers. I mean, uh, 15 now, they could blossom. I, mean, we, I, I was under maybe in the mistaken impression with the transfer portal that they might try to keep their numbers down. That may work differently, or how do you see that in terms of overall recruiting class size? Uh, is this an oversigning issue, or how does that how does that play out from your perspective? Yeah, I kind of figured that they would kind of keep half their scholarships open for the portal, but I, in hindsight, I don't know why I really thought that way because when you look at how this played out last year and the year before that, is you can max out your high school scholarships and then go get your transfers with whatever you peel off your roster through the course of the the season. Guys are going to quit. Guys are going to transfer. Guys are going to leave during the season. Uh, at the end of the season, you're going to have a pretty good idea that these five guys are leaving or these 10 guys are leaving even, or hell yeah. nowadays, these 25 guys are leaving. Um, and you can pretty much replace everybody now. The 25-man single-season cap is no more, uh, at least for two years, but they don't make changes like that to not make them permanent. So you can find more scholarships during the season. You will find more scholarships during the season. So there's not really any real reason to hold back scholarships at this point for the portal. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming that's kind of how they're approaching it now and we'll approach it, um, you know, from here on out. Yeah. You know, you have that, uh, it's just a different landscape and all those, all those different uh, situations that uh, uh, there's all, all these factors that these coaches are going to have to deal with over, over time. And that uh, uh, it seems to me to be uh, impressive that you've got to be as nimble as heck to be able to get through this. Uh, Tom and, and I, you guys have both commented. I mean, Ricky Collins has gotten obviously maybe the, the only four star in this class. A lot has been, you know, guessed about uh, concern, I guess, from Purdue camp that, he, you know, is he going to stay committed? We don't know that, but it seems like everything looks good. O'Brien's mentioned that as well. Just the importance of, a, you know, the way that the roster balances out and the fact that you're going to have have a new quarterback next year uh, after Aiden O'Connell finally leaves. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be Ricky Collins, but just that need to, to keep that quarterback position balanced out and what that may look like uh, uh, for Purdue, not only in 2023, but on and beyond. Yeah, he's uh, publicly professed his commitment to Purdue here uh, recently, I think. He's been at the Elite 11 camp, and uh, I know he was interviewed for, uh, about that recently and, again, said he was solidly a Purdue guy. So uh, I'm paraphrasing there, but he's saying all the right things publicly. Uh, of course, Oregon and Florida State are a couple of schools coming after him. He's a Baton Rouge, Louisiana kid, obviously deep in the heart of the Southeastern Conference. Uh, we know how they operate down there. Uh, it's probably going to be a tight rope walk all the way to signing day if Purdue can get him. As you said, Alan, the only four-star thus far committed in this class and at the marquee position of quarterback, no less. So, yeah, he's a guy you certainly would love to add to that quarterback. I mean, of course, you got Brady Allen last year, a four-star. You'll have Michael Alamo coming back, too. So, uh, boy, to add Ricky Collins to that mix would give the staff uh, some interesting options moving forward under center here once, as you said, Aiden O'Connell departs after this season. Is that Brian? Has that surprised you at all? I mean, again, I know talk is talk, and and, and as Tom says, you got to get to signing day. But here's a guy that's uh, pretty well respected in that region of the country. It's uh, and if I may be wrong, the guy that started the recruiting him, and I could be dead wrong on this, is Marty Biaggi, though. Mm -hmm. 
no longer at Purdue, but uh, does it matter? And uh, how do you how do you see that? Well, uh, you know, Purdue's obviously quite a draw for quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of the reason why he committed in the first place. And sure. you know, I, I think that they got on him early. They got him wrapped up pretty early, and then they probably understood that they were going to have to have to kind of weather a storm here. And I think even though, um, you know, some people are coming at him um, and all that stuff is, I think the reasons he committed to Purdue, none of that stuff's changed. Yeah. I think it's important for Purdue to hold on to him because there's a certain, you know, prestige about um, signing a good quarterback every year. But also, you know, the quarterback dominoes fall so early that when you get a good one early and then you lose that one, suddenly you're going from your A-list to scrambling uh, at a position that's pretty much spoken for um, when it gets relatively late in the process. And when I say late in the process, June is late in the process. June is late in that process. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily always what you sign, but what you're not signing in place of what you didn't sign, if that makes any sense. So I, th- I think it was just, just, just a real, you know, one other, th- one other point to make here is for years now, you know, Jeff Brom has been looking for that kind of dual threat guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, th- I think for a while there, that's the direction they wanted to take their offense in to a certain extent. That being said, obviously they, they're going to have a lot invested in Brady Allen here who maybe can be kind of that guy because he's a good enough athlete. But I think um, Ricky Collins is sort of what they've dabbled in trying to find here the last few years. They recruited the uh, kid from Cincinnati whose name escapes me who went to Cincinnati, Evan Prater. Was it Prater? Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. Um, They recruited Sam Jackson a couple of years ago, lost him. Uh, Had they not taken Sam Jackson, they would have taken Donovan McCulley who would have been that kind of dual threat guy. This is sort of, what they've had in mind in terms of the ability to meld the passing game and the running game to a certain extent and have, you know, some real escapability back there. Um, that being said, you are going to have two quarterbacks here in, and I'm not discounting Michael Lamo's chances in all of this, but yeah, the last two classes produced Brady Allen and Ricky Collins. If you're able to hold on to two of those guys, you're going to have two distinctly, you know, kind of different quarterbacks two two very different guys that you can do a lot of different kinds of stuff with. Well, we'll go back to one one question. And obviously, Brian, a lot of your focus in the month of June has been in basketball and basketball AU tournaments, et cetera. You'll be doing more of that next week um, down in Charlotte. But just the, the offer to Jack Benner and a little bit about a synopsis of what that means. But also, you've been watching Miles Colvin and others uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. What have, uh, what's been your June takeaway from what you've seen over uh, Purdue basketball prospects for down the road and uh, currently? Yeah, Jack Benner, uh, start off with him. He's kind of, you know, Purdue's scholarship situation is – restrictive at this point and um but just kind of watching Benner and watching Purdue watch Benner you knew that in time this was going to be a guy that that they offered because he's so skilled he he fits into that triple pass and shoot um model that you know obviously Matt Painter's come to covet and has really you know had some success with uh but I also think he has a certain amount of toughness to him a certain amount of uh, tenacity to him, that uh, physicality too, that I, I, don't, I don't think he's that typical guy that you have to make defensive concessions for to have him out there. 
Um, you know, he's really smart. He's a coach's kid. Uh, he, he's, he's a competitive guy. He's just kind of everything you're looking for uh, in that position. Uh, if you're Purdue, he's the closest thing to Dakota Mathias I've seen, except he's bigger and more physical, probably not the same caliber of shooter and passer quite yet, but that's a pretty high bar. Um, so this is that sort of guy who makes you a better offensive team, who makes the players around him better. Uh, because his basketball IQ is so good. He's such a good passer. He's such a good facilitator. Um, he's so uniquely skilled and just was kind of a no-brainer for Purdue, if you ask me. Now, it puts you in a kind of tough spot here because you, if you get Jack Benner and you get Cannon Catchings, who I think you know Purdue's going to have a really good shot at getting as kind of a combo forward, maybe more of a wing, um, you have to have a point guard in that class, and you typically want to – balance out your size by, by adding size in every class. So now here you are um, not knowing how many scholarships you have. You have four guys in that class. So theoretically you could take four, um, but you don't know about the COVID year. You have those four juniors. I think we can all agree. Zach Eadie's probably not coming back for a fifth year of college basketball. It's probably a reasonable assumption that Brandon Newman and Mason Gillis after redshirting their freshman years may not want to be in college for a sixth year, although I, I I wouldn't rule that out entirely. Ethan Morton would be the guy you look at him and you say that would make a lot of sense because his freshman year was such a wash that, you know, you could almost retroactively get him a redshirt year. But you have no idea. You know, for all for all you know at this point, three of those four guys could come back for a COVID year and you could have no scholarships or you could have one scholarship. Um, so Purdue's had to be kind of careful in terms of, you know, offering too many guys in that class. They've had to be really targeted. But I think Jack Benner was the sort of guy that you kind of had to make room for one way or another. Yeah. And you got, uh, uh, and of course, Jack Benner, I didn't do a good job introducing to class of 2024 guard Brownstown central uh, for those of you that don't, don't know, but uh, that's uh, uh, going to be ever evolving when that, when you go to Charlotte next week, what will you be watching too? I wanted to ask you that before we go on to the next topic. Um. Well, Jakari, well, not, uh, not Charlotte, but you're flying into Charlotte. I know Rock you're Hill, Rock Hill, South Carolina. Yeah, you is, got it. I guess we'd call that a suburb of Charlotte. I have no idea. Even in other it's not far. Um, most notably, uh, you know, Jakari Harris is playing down there. He's the 2024 guard that Purdue has offered. He's the son of Glenn Robinson. Um, and some of the Indiana elite kids are going to be down there uh, that Purdue's offered. Raleigh Burgess, notably Travis Perry you know, was going to be a huge target for Purdue at point guard. Uh, he just got offered by Kentucky. He's from Kentucky. If Kentucky <laughs> wants Travis Perry, my guess is Kentucky gets Travis Perry. So, um, but I'm still going to go down there and watch him play a few times. Uh, Jerron Tibbs is going to be down there, the, the new Purdue <laughs> football wide receiver who I just got off the phone with here. Uh, he'll be down there so I can watch him play basketball. I can do a video interview with him, you know, kind of things like that. Uh, uh, so that, that, um, it'll keep you busy that and, uh, and Publix, uh, will be my, <laughs> my two priorities. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, uh let's go on. I want to go to obviously July 4th weekend. Uh, always, uh, the term fireworks is a, is a term we, uh, or not a term. It's something that happens on July 4th. Uh, uh and, uh, I, I wanted to kind of, as we look, wrap up, kind of in it used to be that june 30th always kind of wrapped up the academic year and the fiscal year for some people and whatever now it kind of all melds together but tom i'll start with you 
uh, and we just heard some things about uh, USC and UCLA, possibly. There were some rumors going on. In fact, D1 Ticker also, Tom, uh, put that out right after I got the copy of the tweet from, from the San Jose paper. But uh, what do you see? Uh, what may first go back to last year? What was your story of the year? And again, you, uh, you can, you, you can put anything on there. I was going to discount, uh, uh, transfer portal and NIL. It's kind of a silly thing to do, but, uh, what was your story of the year? And what do you, th- what, wow. you know, what kind of fireworks do you expect next year? What will be that story heading into the following year? If you had a crystal ball? Yeah. I mean, story of this last year, I mean, up until this point, my goodness, you got to, any number of bombshells to choose. I mean, NIL, obviously the continued evolution of that, what it, what it's, I guess, devolved into, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to go with what's right in front of us right now. First, going back to Texas and Oklahoma, um, what, last summer, I think, July or August, that report came out that they were leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. How that sort of put the expanded playoff on hold and out today, guys. Um, as you referenced, Alan, John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, who's as dialed in as anybody, uh, is reporting that you at UCLA and um, USC are going to head to the Big Ten uh, yeah. since 2024. So, my goodness, I think this is something a lot of us thought may be an inevitability um, in some way, shape, or form. Some group of Pac-12 schools coming together with the Big Ten led by USC. Uh, now to actually see uh, apparently the ball's in motion. I mean, you talk about seismic change here and what this means um, for the landscape of college football. I don't know even – I haven't had enough time to even wrap my head around no, it. But, yeah, I mean, uh, going to be interesting uh, uh, to see what happens to the rest of the Pac-12 schools, Oregon, Cal, Stanford, you know, we can go on and on. Is the Big 12 get involved here? I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch this, this puzzle continue to be put together uh, moving forward here as the sport changes before our very eyes. Not just that way, guys, but obviously the NCAA transformative committee that's going on now. Is there going to be a breakaway by Power 5 conferences? I mean, this is just another seismic event on top of a series of seismic events that have rocked college sports the last 12 months. Brian, uh, your swing at bat, uh, I mean, obviously UCLA and USC would be an amazing change if that does happen, uh, in addition to the Big Ten, but uh, and it's hard for me to wrap my my head around that. But uh, what do you see? I mean, do you see a balancing out of any of this, uh, more of the same being changed as the new constant? Uh, what, do you, what do you see in your crystal ball? I see an alliance that didn't last very long. Yeah. 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 Um, Anyway, uh, I, I and you're and you're referring to the the ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten alliance, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, that was quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Every man for themselves. Yeah. In a year when you know Purdue's basketball team was number one in the country, uh, to not pick that kind of thing, or you know football's resurgence season, um, it's just the fact that everything changed this year. It, it's just it's an entirely different deal now than it was uh 12 months ago it's you had the convergence of name image likeness you had the convergence of the transfer portal really becoming the mainstream sort of staple of the landscape that it's become you had the i still don't want to use the term end of the pandemic but you had 
the continued fallout from the pandemic, including the COVID year, which has adults playing college basketball and college football much more so than uh, we're accustomed to. Now, in terms of the Big Ten, we have this report that, and I don't doubt for a second this is true, um, USC and UCLA, at some point we have to stop calling these conferences. Yeah. (laughs) Because this is manifest destiny. This is world domination stuff. This is this is the the Western Conference. You can go back to that, you know, right? <laughs> looking at this simply from from an economic perspective. Yeah. This is this is this would be a pretty big deal for Kevin Warren. I mean, as as, as much maligned as Kevin Warren has been for good reason, if if he pulls in California and he has the SEC surrounded geographically, I mean that that's that's if he pulls in the Los Angeles media market, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not crazy. I'm a big fan of things making sense, yeah. you know, and other than the opportunity for every big 10 school to now get back to the Rose bowl, uh, yeah. one way or another, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I like the sheer nonsensical thoughts of, Maryland traveling to USC and Rutgers traveling to UCLA. It just doesn't make any sense. But I understand that when money's involved, things don't have to make sense. Um, but in terms of the sheer power play that this would be, this is this isn't quite the Pac-12 or the SEC grabbing Texas and Oklahoma, but it it's a pretty big deal nonetheless, yeah. because whereas those are big time football programs. This is a big time media market. I mean, Los mm-hmm. Angeles, Southern mm-hmm. California, it is that is it is New York, it is Chicago, it is SoCal. And yeah. Big Ten now has all three. <clears throat> yeah. you know, the thing, the thing too, I mean, I, I guess I don't know why people struggle so much with the Rutgers playing whoever UCLA. I mean, do they say that when the Eagles play the LA Rams? I mean, it's yeah. just like one big league. And at this point, that when the East plays the West in pro sports, it's no big deal. But Suddenly, when it happens in college, people can't wrap their head around it. I guess the tradition. I think, I, I think we have to get over that construct of being so yeah. bizarre because, again, it's 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 we've blown way past conventional college conference alignments anyway. Now you're going to have at least 16 teams in the Big Ten, right? Are you going to have four four team divisions? I mean, here we go. It could be really fascinating to see how this can, does get constructed. If it does stay at 16, who knows? Maybe the Big Ten's not done yet. Yeah. Um, but again, um, I've said it many times, man. I mean, the NFL has already set up a model for college football to follow. I don't know why they just don't grasp what the NFL does and form a league. Blow up the conferences. Just divorce yourself. I know there's a lot of history there, but, I mean, it seems seems, seems so silly. Um, And they could schedule each other, come up with a conventional way to schedule, get rid of all this other silliness with scheduling these, these conferences and teams do. Uh, but that's, that's a story or an argument for another day. But right now, Again, like Brian said, these aren't. This isn't Texas and Oklahoma, but this is. Uh, these are still two pretty good, gosh darn good athletic programs in a huge market. Plus, as we know, fellas, um, the Big Ten. If we're going to stay in for where our Big Ten conference had here, they love the academic heft, right? And these are two schools with plenty of academic heft that that I'm sure the league would love to have uh, from again a mortarboard standpoint, if you will. Well, the difference between between the Eagles and Rams and Rutgers and UCLA is that 
the Eagles and Rams have always been available to play one another. It, that yeah. the NFL has it's never been bound simply by simply by divisional alignment. Whereas people, tra- you know, tradition is such a big part of college sports. People yeah, are used to thing. that's the what Big you Ten blow playing up. the Big Ten. That's what is getting blown up. And because, yeah, anybody who's cool with that, it, that that that's fine. But that's I the way like it's going it. to be. So <laughs> personally, I wish it was still 1985 and these leagues were the same. But I don't like it as, as, as for a lot of reasons. But now that's one of them. I you lose you, you lose that the intimacy of of, of the geography here, and, and and that creates rivalries and. Again, I guess you, you got to change. Uh, things are always going to change and evolve, and I get it. Um, but like I said, yeah, you're right, Brian. I mean, um, it hasn't been part of the college, I guess, uh, experience to, to blow through these borders and time zones to play teams on a regular basis. But, man, now you have a conference that's going to span coast to coast, which is incredible, I guess. Well, that's right. kind of kind of the other thing about this is, I mean, you know, comparing co- college sports to the NFL and to the pros is – you know, there's a little bit of apples and oranges there because these aren't pros. And it, like, if if you're asking Maryland's basketball team to go play, to go fly 2,800 miles, you know, to play a basketball team or to play a basketball game, that's a lot. It you is. Know? Um, and I'd imagine they're not going to allow those games to take place in the middle of the week. Yeah. But I also never would have thought that. Rutgers or Maryland would be playing 9 p.m. games at Nebraska on Wednesday nights and then having to fly back that night and go to class the next day, theoretically. Um, it's just how much is too much on the, uh, you know, from a travel perspective, you know, from a student athlete demand perspective. Um, as we get closer to this era where, you know, student athletes are going to ultimately, I'm sure, wind up collectively bargaining at some point. Mm-hmm. And thus be classified as as employees, Employee. on, yeah. whether it's officially or unofficially. This is the sort of stuff that maybe you kind of see more of. That maybe college athletes get treated more like professionals than they are right now. Yeah, it's just it being that way, and I, I think you're, everything certainly is pointing in that direction. I've got the division for Purdue though in football. It's yeah, we, yeah. Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, and Northwestern. You can win that. You can win your quarter at least every well, stop. What would stop? I mean, I mean, what would make sense? That makes sense. Stop, what would stop the Big Ten from doing four divisions? Wait, and that's yeah, like, like four, four, four team pods. Put, put, yeah, put Nebraska, Iowa, and the two California schools in right. one. Put those four Indiana, Illinois schools in one. Put Minnesota somewhere. Who I don't know. And then, and, and then kind of. I don't know. This is kind of a half-baked take. I probably shouldn't have. All I was looking at is, uh, from a Purdue perspective, is giving yourself a, a working path in football. But God yeah. knows that if whatever whatever we're, we're guessing, uh, um, we're not making those decisions. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I think we're getting to the point where after years and years and years of people demanding a college football playoff, I think we're getting to the point where we're going to have divisional playoffs here pretty soon. Yeah, we may. We may how they break that down and how they do it or how these conferences look uh, is going to be an interesting thing. All right, I'll have the last word of my stories of the year. I do think I think it's hard pressed uh, basketball this year with such a compelling story. Not that it ended men's basketball as positively as Purdue fans would have wanted, but what a story all year! Just had you riveted on how this was going to end. Not only getting number being ranked number one early in the year uh, for the first time in school history, but the, the sense of you know maybe not you're not going to be as good as you needed to be, but you weren't ever sure you weren't going to get there in the first place. And uh, 
that story and Jaden Ivey, but also hard to minimize the the near New Year's game, uh, late December game in Purdue and Tennessee, and and this, I think a game is still going on as we keep laughing about a five an hour five hour plus game or whatever that was in Purdue's win at Tennessee and how well that bodes and will be an interesting storyline just what that team learned in terms of its confidence level of win without uh, David Bell and George Karloftis was a was a huge thing uh, and and may put pay we'll see if it pays big de- dividends in 2022 as well uh, just from a mindset of the football team so yeah, Quick, I guess I, I didn't. I didn't chime in locally, but you guys, I think, covered all that. But again, the first round draft choices too, right, guys? Uh, right, Carloftis and, and Ivy. The first time since what 2011 that's happened at Purdue. Only third time in history, right? Pretty big deal to have two first round draft choices. Uh, what in the same calendar year here for Purdue? Uh, two special talents who uh, obviously left big footprints in West Lafayette. Yeah, and Brian's point, uh, he wrote in uh, Weekly Word this week about Purdue's lack. <laughs> and again, we're putting an end to this podcast, but the whole idea of Purdue playing Florida State and Marquette for the for uh, in their in its uh, yeah. games and in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. That's another topic. It's well worth reading if you haven't read it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, why, just why that is. But uh, it's an interesting story. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for uh, – good half hour of conversation we want to thank our viewers listeners uh, however you process our materials as brian always says we appreciate that have a great and safe july 4th uh, brian will be on the road next week I, i'm gonna guess that tom and i may do a kind of uh, extensive preseason preview for football from a july standpoint uh and then uh, we'll get back with the obviously basketball uh, recruiting as well as as uh, brian will be Uh, on the road too. So guys have a great fourth. Thanks to the Union Club Hotel, the 811 Bistro, Boiler Up Bar. We appreciate uh, their support. And uh, again, be safe everybody over the fourth and thanks for watching and listening. All right. You got it?